Relationships rule. That's my motto. I'm Janice Porter, and I love to share the power of relationship marketing to help grow and impact business. I've grown my business by building and nurturing relationships, and I'd like to help you do the same. Welcome to the Relationships Rule podcast, where connection means everything. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Relationships Rule. I'm very excited this week to have my guest, Meredith Grundy, who's here from New York, New York City, if I'm not mistaken. Yes? Yes. Yes. So welcome, first of all. Welcome to the show. Um, Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, Meredith is just another beautiful example of someone I met on LinkedIn. And I just love that, right? I love that. I do. Yeah, that, you know, we start with a very small connection. Will you connect with me? And then have a conversation and it just worked. So I was so excited to meet you. So what I would love for you to do, Meredith, first is just um, give my audience a little understanding of your story, your background story, because what I'm going to say, first of all, is that um, Meredith went from acting to speaking, but in such a different way and uh, specializes now in public speaking and presentation skills. And I'm ready to dive in on that, but I want my audience to know your background, where, how this happened. How did you go from that world of improv and acting to being a speaker and a facilitator? I'm a very windy road. That's how. That's how. That's how I, that's I got said to me a squiggly line. A squiggly very much a squiggly yeah. line. Yeah, with some loop de loops in there. Uh, yeah, I I have always loved being on a stage. I found it really liberating as a dancer as a young kid. Uh, but I was always that kid that was terrified of speaking up in class because I was afraid of sounding stupid or saying the wrong thing, not having the answer, and so forth. And so. I really found liberation being on stage and just using uh, my body to tell a story, if you will, and the music and the choreography. And uh, there was one particular dance where my dance teacher for a performance asked all of us to come up with a line of text, which was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And mine was, because I was obsessed with uh, Wonder Woman, I said, when I want to, when I grow up, I want to be just like Wonder Woman. And I did this double turn and, and landed on both feet and said it loud and proud from the stage. And it was from there that someone came up to me and said after the performance that I should take acting classes. I think at the time I was about 12. So I, I was like, oh, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. But what I found in that was, and it took me a while to, to kind of figure out that this was the stepping stone for me starting to feel more confident using my voice. And I had, I had a script, of course, somebody else's words to hide behind, uh, but it still built this confidence for myself. And then later on after college and I danced my whole, my whole way through high school and college and did theater and that's bug. Uh, it was after college that I went to Chicago. I moved to San Francisco first, then to Chicago where I was doing experimental theater uh, using improv, improvisational, physical improvisational forms and devised work, which is making, creating your own theatrical projects. So I wasn't always working from a pre-written script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at that point, and so I've had a very like again loop de loop. I love a lot of different kinds of kinds of uh, theatrical expressions, if you will, and the forms within those. But I got to Chicago and I moved there on purpose because I wanted to study improv. I wanted to study specifically improv comedy. So I 
interned my way through this place called IO in Chicago, which is the home of the Herald. And I was also teaching after school programs. And I happened to be co-teaching an after school program with one of the the co uh, co associate. It's a co-founder. I don't know what her title was. Associate member. Let's say that of the Second City. And she said, "Hey, we're starting this kids program at the Second City. Would you want to be one of the new instructors that helps us develop the curriculum for that?" Mm. So then they brought me in, and I became. Uh, an associate faculty member of the second city. And I taught the very first kids class that they ever offered there. And uh, from there, I started to really love teaching improv and not just teaching it to kids, but teaching it to adults as well. And then I started teaching in the corporate world and I was teaching improv on communication and heightened listening skills and building trust mm. and all of those awesome things that those fun games teach that have actual, there's no real world consequences, but all of the lessons learned are incredibly applicable. And it was from there where I started coaching people in public speaking. Wow. Well, and I loved it. You know, it feels like, um, as, as I've, as my observation of people who do people who are actors, okay. Mm -hmm. Actors, improv people that generally they are camera shy as themselves. And they don't like to talk about themselves and they are in maybe not maybe introverted. I don't know if that's the right term to use here, but um, but when they are somebody else as an, in their acting, they become a different person because that gives them the, the, the confidence that they don't have as themselves, which yes. I think is really interesting because it seems to me that you could be wrong, but you, you were developing those other skills as well about being confident in yourself and looking at business at like, there's, there's not that direct line between improv at second city and corporations and standing on stages and teaching people to speak. That's not a direct thing for sure. So were you taking business at, at university as well or no it just so what inspired that like was it just I think my father I grew up with a, a father who had very much an entrepreneurial spirit and he was a financial manager and he was very very much in the corporate world and I remember I remember once when I was living in San Francisco he and his buddies his colleagues I should say yeah. and buddies all came for some sort of a conference and they were all staying at the Marriott and I remember going up to the concierge room at the Marriott to hang out with them. And I was really intrigued by what they did for a living. And I was always really intrigued at why it was so confusing. <laughs> I, always, I would always hear people's titles and I'm like, so you do what? And so I have always been incredibly curious about that question of why is this so complicated? Why do we... <laughs> And, and furthermore, I noticed that not only does that get carried in the job descriptions when you're applying for jobs and in the titles itself, but then that also gets carried into how they present to customers. Who, <laughs> I love it. Who don't necessarily know what the heck they're talking about. So I feel like my job is, and I would say this to my dad all the time when he was still alive, I'd be like, just talk to me like I'm five, like just break it down. Yeah. And uh, that was sometimes really hard for him to do. And I think that's what's really hard for a lot of people to do. And so it's not about talking down to people or being condescending. It's just about what's important. 
Yes. Yeah. That. So that, what I was going to say, when you mentioned your dad right away, I because I was thinking about a different way of coming at it. But but when I was growing up, my dad was always saying to me, do something you can fall back on, you know, make sure you can, you know, fend for yourself and look out. Right. Because theater definitely probably wasn't it at the time. God, no. no. I mean, my sister did a similar yeah. thing. She went she left here. And went to use, she was always in fine arts at UBC, she was at university, she was acting, she was singing, she was um, in a folk group and all of this stuff. And she went to LA and she got her master's in fine arts at UCLA and she never came back. Then she started, you know, um, pounding the pavements to get um, auditions and so on. And she ended up in, I think I asked you about this, Kentucky Fried Theater, which is an improv group out of LA. Yeah. Yeah, you did ask me about that. I love Yeah, that. so she was doing that and she was going to auditions and stuff. Essentially, in the end, she couldn't make any money at it and she didn't like the rejection. So she ended up on the other side of the business doing, um, she was an agent for kids uh, for a long time. And then she was in another business around the, in the entertainment uh, industry. But, you know, it, everyone has to find their way, but it was that, you know, she still lights up when she does things like that, you know, in front of my granddaughter, you know, doing a puppet or doing something, you just see her light up with those kinds of things. But the improv thing I'm really fascinated about, because I think I'm very, um, if this is a word, unanimated, not animated when I'm on stage, and I've been on stage doing presentations, and I've been scared stiff. And I remember thinking things like um, find a face in the audience, you know, and just focus on that person to that, you know, because then you can speak to them and feel more comfortable and it does work. So when you're taking, okay, wait, I, I'm getting all excited here. So I, let's put this into a real question. What are yeah. some common challenges or fears that you've observed in your clients when it comes to public speaking and how do you help them overcome these obstacles? So that's the bigger picture of what I was trying to say, because I think, yes. Yeah. The, the common obstacles and fears. I, I feel that a lot of people come to me thinking they know what their common fears and pain points are. But then when you start to dig a little bit deeper, it's more than that. Uh, so I would say most people will come to me and say, uh, I need to get better at not using filler words, or I have anxiety, which is real. And it's, it's so real that it's paralyzing. Mm. I have people, uh, who have come to me who are really excited about, they can see themselves on a stage and delivering that keynote. But I, but what's interesting to me is that I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes into cultivating a presence in that way. Mm -hmm. And it can start to feel really vulnerable and really scary for people. And so there's lots of different layers. I think that when I work with clients, some of it's pretty straightforward. Some people are like, just help me with my presentation. I got, I, I got, I got, a, I got it. You know, I got to have this done in a month. Yeah. It takes. I got some people who are seasoned and they just need me to help polish them. But, and then I have those people who come in there and it's almost like, it's, it's, a, it's a, it's a gentle approach to getting them to where they want to be. So I, I hope that answered your question, but I feel like sometimes it's, it's much more layered. 
It does, but I'd love to hear a couple of stories. So, um, so I know that you work a lot, a lot in the tech industry and yeah. Yeah. And I remember doing training. I'm more of a trainer than a speaker. And I remember training, um, a lot of, uh, people back in the day, it wasn't so much tech as it is now, but it was like the, the, the engineers and the implementers at the telephone company, they had to come and do this training with me. I worked at the telephone company as a trainer and we did some soft skills training. I think it was. And of course they come in with their arms crossed and they don't even care, right? They don't want to be there because it's a lot, but some of them then got to the levels where they had to do the training. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, those people are so not the the build rapport kind of people. So how, you must have that must be a big job to turn them into speakers. That's where I'm getting at. Tell me about tech people and how you. Yeah, for me, it's it's about first of all convincing them in a way, showing them that less is more. Because what I've and, and how to tell a story using data or using the architecture or whatever it is that, that they're developing. So for me, it's a couple of things. I come in and I, I talk to them about the importance of story and how to incorporate it and that it doesn't need to be complicated. It could be a very simple story. It could be a metaphor, an analogy. It could be something that will connect to the information. And really hitting upon what that emotion is for the audience. Like what is the audience's pain point and how is what you're developing going to solve that problem for them? Again, and, telling them as a five-year-old to, yeah. to a five-year-old, I'm guessing, because yeah, the biggest thing you just said for me there was knowing what the audience's pain points are. So doing that homework and making sure that what you have to say is going to answer that. Yes, exactly. And you might have people of all different levels in your audience. Some people might know what you're talking about. And some people might be, this is the first introduction to what you're sharing in the audience. So it's really important that it's not that you're talking to the lowest denominator, but that you're just being thorough enough, but not getting into the weeds to where everyone in that audience can be a part of that conversation with you. Uh, so once I get them convinced that story is effective and has impact, then what I do is work with them through their deck. Uh, and that can vary depending on the, the industry in which I'm working. Some, some companies are a little bit more flexible. Some companies, like I work sometimes with doctors and pharmaceutical companies and they, everything is compliant. They have to use what they have. They can't change even the order of things. Wow. So it's, how do you, how do you work within those limits mm -hmm. so that being really clear and you're just focusing on what those key takeaways are on each of those decks or each of those slides, I should say, and you're really clear with your introduction. You're really clear with your call to action. And oftentimes those things, the introduction, the story, how you're going to present your slides and the CTA can all be kind of muddied if they're not well practiced and prepared. And then the other thing I'll do is give them resources or tools for how to practice, because I feel that people get the advice often to practice, 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 uh, but people practice differently. We learn differently. Mm -hmm. So my, I feel like my job as a coach is to say, here are a lot of different ways that you can approach practice. 
And I want you to try all of them and let's just see which one's going to work best for you. But obviously what you've been doing hasn't been working. So let's try something different. And I love it. It's like, it's like taking it, taking something really challenging and sculpting it into something that is tangible for people. It's like a little, uh, solo performances. Well, yes, it must be really rewarding when, uh, you know, do your, when your client has done the, the presentation yeah. and they come back and say, I did it and it went really well. And, you yeah. know, they're all excited about it and not as afraid to do it the next time. Yeah. Do you, um, now I, I think you, you do one-on-one -on -one coaching and you also do group coaching, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you improv with your, with your, um, people. Yeah, yeah. I do. I yeah. do. Uh, it depends on the room, but I always like to do at least like a little icebreaker and I don't call it improv. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it depends on who the audience is, but I just did one for the, uh, uh, just this last week. I'm having a brain fart. The junior, junior league, that one. I guess I wanted to say the league. I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh, so thank you. The junior league, uh, in Jersey, I just did a workshop for them and that was fun. It was all improv. It was about owning, owning your presence and, and owning your voice and owning your story. And it was super fun. And they knew they were doing improv and got up okay. on their feet quite a bit. Uh, and then I have an improv for speakers membership program. It's called confidently speaking. And that attracts people who are more entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, if you will, who really want to start getting better at these impromptu things that they're called to do, like being on a podcast, for example, yeah, yeah. or going to a networking event and doing the one-on-one -on -one, or even getting on a stage. And that's been really cool because I've had members in that group for two years now. Some of them have been there for two years and to just see their growth. That's, that's been very cool. so cool. If you've been listening to me for a while, you probably know that I love to talk about LinkedIn. So now I'm curious, are you ready to take your LinkedIn to the next level? Because if you are, I've got the perfect opportunity for you. As a valued podcast listener, I'm offering you a one month free trial to the LinkedIn Advantage program. It's your chance to join the community of like-minded professionals and immerse yourself in a space designed for learning, networking, and growing your business, and a lot of LinkedIn as well. Don't miss out. If you're ready to go from listener to participant, take advantage of this free trial by visiting podcastadvantage.janisporter.com today. That's podcastadvantage.janisporter.com. Join us and we'll see you in the group. Yeah, it's not easy. Definitely. I, I've always, like, I struggle when I have to actually have a script or a speech that, you know, um, I should know it like by rote, but I don't, I can't study that way. I have to just learn my slides I hate slides. I don't like talking to slides. And that's a whole thing by itself, just learning how to, you know, where this slide is and where you're pointing and not standing in front of the screen. How many people do that? Oh, I could talk about that for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Get away from that screen for God's sake, you know? Um, and, uh, and then uh, um, building rapport with the audience. And those things are to me just as, and so much 
it's so important to um, the whole presentation. But it str I struggle with having to study anymore. I like I I don't know. It's yeah. just it, that becomes my block. So I do I just ad lib most of the time, or at least I think I'm ad libbing. I'm probably not, but I'm taking what I see on that slide and changing it each time I do it, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the, the advice I always give my clients is to start first with, and you mentioned this beautifully, which is start with your audience first and really identify who they are, what those pain points are and how you're going to solve that problem, et cetera. And then once you've established that, then you figure out what is your objective with this particular audience? What is your end in mind? What do you want them to do uh, by the end of this presentation or retain by the end of this presentation? And then once you do that, you figure out what are those key takeaways? So usually people can only retain three to five things. So you think, okay, what are the three key takeaways that are going to lead me to that end in mind, to that objective, Okay. my audience, I should say. And then once you've established that outline and you figure out those things, then you look to your slides mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, what slides here are going to best support this message? Mm -hmm. And then I always say, try to practice without the deck mm -hmm. and get the, and just, and always be pra practicing out loud. I'm always stunned at how many people still practice sitting at their desk, just scrolling yeah. through. Yeah. Uh, so always up on your feet, practicing out loud, practicing often. My client right now, who's going to be doing this big speak event that I'm producing next week, I said, okay, you are at that point now where you can just take the script, tape it on your kitchen cabinet while you're making pasta. I want you to, I want you to deliver your presentation out loud as you're cooking. And if you need to refer to that, because you're going to get thrown off because something's going to happen, like the pasta sauce is going to boil over or something, then you can refer to it. But it's just... It's about memorization is about using different muscles and memorizing in different ways. And it can be a lot of fun if we allow it to be fun. Okay. All right. Uh, you got me over there. Um, I was just, just thinking back. I know I shared with you how I, um, I'm obsessed by this podcast called um, Smartless and you said, yes. okay, well, a lot of the people that they had on that sh they have had on that show have been improv people from Second City, from mm -hmm. wherever else. The Canadian one, I forget, SCTV, I think it was called Groundlings, the Groundlings. All these improv people who became Saturday Night Live regulars in their specific times. And what I've found fascinating is learning about how um, improv is like it's just so clever. Like I'm. It really is a whole thing that most people don't understand. So um, what skills from improv would you say are the biggest ones that you take over into what you're doing now? Because it is a whole thing, right? It's a whole thing. That's such a so many great questions there. Uh, first of all, improv is like, I, I think it should be a required course in every school. I just really do. Uh, it builds your adaptability muscle so that you can think on your feet if something yeah. goes wrong. Yeah. Uh, it helps you build trust in a way because you're taking, you're taking risk. Uh, you are sharing sometimes things that might feel a little vulnerable. You're laughing with people. Laughter builds trust. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
It helps with ideation and the brainstorming process. That whole idea of yes and. Yes. yes can be interpreted in a couple of different ways, in healthy ways, right? Uh, one is, so when with ideation, it's like, I can't tell you how many times I'll talk to teams. I'm like, okay, when you get into a, you're in the brainstorm phase, but then somebody says, I don't like that idea. And then it's no longer a brainstorm. That's not a brainstorm when someone says yes, but. Judgment, right? Yeah. Right. It's, it's about getting everything up onto that whiteboard or, or however you're doing that brainstorm, because you never know the bad idea might spawn the good idea. Mm -hmm. So every idea counts and we're brainstorming. Yeah. Every idea counts. Uh, it also helps with inclusivity. So making sure that all the voices can be heard at the table. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it, it just has so many in ways to find ways to incorporate humor, for example, into your presentation. So maybe you stand there with a, a recorder and you just off the cuff, think of some things off the top of your head. So it builds that skill so that you feel more comfortable uh, to have that ability to do that. There's so many wonderful things that improv. It helps you communicate better with mm -hmm. groups of people. Uh, the other portion of yes and is it's not about necessarily always agreeing with the person that you're in a conversation with. And this is great for Q&As, for example, is that you may not agree with the point of view of the person asking the question or mm -hmm. the statement that they might have uh, offered, but that you can at least acknowledge them. So that too, I feel is like a strong lesson. Hmm. Interesting. Can you tell me um, uh, a great story of transformation? of one of your clients, like, can you share any, anything come to mind? I do. Well, I always, I always talk about my client, Tina, and she doesn't mind that I talk okay. about her because she showed up in confidently speaking two years ago. And, uh, she lives here in New York city and she is a entrepreneur. She and her husband co-own a, a business together. And, uh, the very first exercise that we did, she just shut down, mm. shut down. Uh, but she kept showing up and she hadn't been on a podcast. She hadn't been really speaking. She started to get really comfortable with networking at that point, but she wasn't doing any of the other stuff to build her business. And she had a goal and she was going to do it. She wanted to do a Ted talk. Hmm. She hasn't done her Ted talk yet, which is totally fine because she wrote a book. Wow. She, did, she did a 15 minute talk for her book launch. She has been on over 70 podcasts this year alone. She has done numerous LinkedIn lives. She is about to do a speak event next week where she's going to stand on stage and tell her story for 10 minutes. And the woman is on fire. It's like a totally different person. Oh, and wow. it's incredible. That's, that's amazing. So the power that she has gained as a person is, wow. Confidence, everything. It's just, yeah, I love it. Great. But I, what I want to say to that though, is that she did the work. Yes. It's, it's not an overnight quick fix. She does the work. She puts in the reps. Yeah. It, that's what it takes for sure. Now with everything, I, I know that, you know, since we've sort of come back out of COVID that everyone's rushing to go into um, face-to-face yeah. -face things again, although I'm not that person. I, I went out last night to play bridge and we were at a room with like, I don't know, uh, for about 50 people, 60 people. 
and I didn't know a lot of them. And I felt like it was too crammed and I kind of wanted to leave. I didn't, but I felt uncomfortable. So I still feel that sometimes, but anyway, um, my issue. Uh, so, so some of us are still, still focused on the digital world and that seems to be enough and fine for me. Um, what do you, um, what advice do you give to people who are, um, uh, looking to enhance their influence and their persuasiveness as speakers still virtual? Cause it's yeah. different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a great question because I do think that things are going to still stay partly like that. I do. Cause I, for example, I've got two organizations, the junior league, and then her workplace, which is a co-working space here in New York city. Uh, both of them asked me to do a virtual version and a live version. So I think that that's not going away. No. Uh, the thing I always say to the people that want to kind of stay in this virtual world is just make sure that you are showing up in the best way you possibly can, because even though you get to hide behind the screen, your body language and all of those things still matter. Uh, and not to get too relaxed, which I see often, often, even today. I mean, how many years later now is it that I still will show up on calls and there's a doctor backlit and he looks like he's in like some sort of uh, witness protection program, you know? And so yeah. I always just stress to people like your posture still it's check your body language check your posture check your lighting check your sound uh if you don't have a desk that can raise up yet figure out how you can raise up your your monitor or computer so that you're standing when you're delivering because uh -huh. it makes a huge difference when you stand and deliver versus when you're sitting yeah so it's little things like that and then don't don't take for granted that you're virtual. You still need to have story. You can't be dependent on the slides. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it was funny. You made me think. Uh, certainly, it was always interesting over uh, the when you watch the news broadcasts, local versus say CNN or something like that, where you know everyone was for three years behind, you know, on a zoom screen and how some people, I remember one, they were interviewing Pam Shriver uh, mm -hmm. was before the U S open. It wasn't just this last se season. It was a couple of years ago and she was sitting in front of her closet and her closet was open. So that looked like a bookshelf or something. It was just a disaster, but you know, that's still happening, right? News people who have got this one guy locally, he's got these, these bookshelf his bookshelf behind him. And he's got stick up pictures from his kids and children's books on, on the thing. It's the whole thing is just a mess. They all, I think that would have been a whole new career actually for people to go and, you know, um, uh, stayed. Yeah. those rooms for these people that were on every day, but it didn't happen. But anyway, that's not the presentation skills, but it did make me think of that. It's like, you're right. Well, it is about presentation skills. I think, I think you bring up a really great point because people get distracted by the littlest things. Well, so if yeah, got, that's what I, was right? I mean, you're like looking at post-it notes and pictures of the kids and I bet you can't remember a thing that he said, but you no. can remember the post-it notes. It's true. It's like my husband would never have noticed the, the venue or at all or the, the, the whole picture. I'm so busy looking at what everything looks like that I'm not paying attention to the, what he's saying because it's boring anyway. The news. Yeah. 
You know? Well, it's, it's, you know, it's so funny. Cause I go back and forth. I'm not a big fan of virtual backgrounds. I, oh, I'm not either. I find them very, and a lot of people use them and they put their company logo on there yeah. and the whole and then thing. their hand disappears out of and the then team. their hand disappears and they ghost out. Uh, you know, for the longest time I had my setup was you could see my bed in the background. And I was like, I saw that. I, I know. And it drove me batty, drove me batty. And I tried all these different angles. So I have fixed that since then. This is still yeah. working. Lovely. Looks Thank lovely. You. I've always wanted to get a beautiful screen to put behind me. And I just have never found one. I've seen people do that very well, but because my door. You look great. No, but my door shouldn't be there. And I have the, the natural light is right here. And that's the best way for my desk. But yeah, anyway, we all have. Well, our- I have a, I have a New York city radiator. Ah, yes. <laughs> I created the bed in for a radiator, but I, you know, it's kind of nice. Okay. It's all good. So, um, I wanted to ask you before we go a couple of things. So, um, I mean, I, I, I shouldn't do this on this interview. I will do it separately because I'm fascinated with all the improv people and everything. So I didn't really want to go down that rabbit hole, but, um, but with the people that you are coaching now, what would you say the three biggest mistakes now that people are making and we should start looking at ourselves, you know, to improve with our speaking and, and training and facilitating. The three biggest mistakes. Uh, One is that people don't look at their presentation as a performance and it is a performance. It's a form of performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I always say to people, look at it as it's a composition. You're taking people through a journey. Mm-hmm. People need to start really getting better at their introductions. I would say most introductions, uh, you have we have very short attention spans. And so your introduction needs to hook me right away and engage me right away. Uh, so for example, instead of starting off with hi, my name is Janice Porter and I'm here today. And uh, so thank you for having me. And I'm going to share with you the three principles of yeah. how to use LinkedIn. Uh, you could start off with a story and share a story that has an emotional connect for your audience and then introduce yourself yeah. for the credibility piece. Uh, and then I would say that the other piece that I've noticed is People aren't very clear with call to actions either. Uh-huh. So they can tend to, and I'm guilty of this too, because you get to the end of the presentation all of a sudden you're like, and that's why I think it needs to be well-practiced. Yeah, It's this is what I need you to leave doing or thinking. Uh-huh. Uh, here's my one QR code to get in touch with me. Not like, yeah. here's my email. Here's my LinkedIn. Yeah. Here's my offer. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know, and part of it is because we don't like selling and it's selling ourselves. Right. And so that's part of it, but you're absolutely right. I think those are all really key. And I, rem- I won't say this isn't about me. Okay. So, um, I think I, you made me think of one other question though, when you were saying that about, um, uh, the introduction and that's one thing I did learn and maybe from reading some of your stuff or, and, and or somebody else's, because that's one of the things I remember 
don't start with the boring stuff about you because they're not there really for that purpose. Make it about them. And that's really what I teach on LinkedIn as well. Make it about your audience so that um, they're hooked into maybe you're the person that can help me right? So they read on. So that's, I think, one of the big ones. So last question before uh, I let you go, and this is for me, this is selfish because I love the, and you used this word earlier, but I love the word curiosity. It's my favorite. And I am one of those very curious people. So the question is two parts. First part is, um, do you believe that curiosity is innate or learned? And what are you most curious about today? That's part two. And there's no right or wrong answer. Question, is it innate or learned? I think, I, well, it's so funny because I think I'm a special snowflake. (laughs) We are, of course. Because I was raised with two very pragmatic parents. Um, So I was, that's where my brain went. Um, I, I would say for myself, it was innate. I don't think I learned it. I think I was born into this world with a creative sensibility and creative types tend to be curious souls. Mm-hmm. So that is a fantastic question. <laughs> I, I do, however, feel that curiosity can be learned. Okay. But one needs to want to learn it. Uh, and then the second part of that question, what am I curious about today? I, the, okay, I'll go with, I always say first thought, best thought, which is an Ellen Ginsberg quote. Okay. I will say that I am curious about how in my own life, I can simplify my own curiosities even more because I'm so curious. I tend to get involved in many, many things because I genuinely want to know more about whatever it's not about FOMO it's just genuine curiosity about like what would that be like what if I said yes to that (laughs) I love it because I think that way too I think that's brilliant because yeah I can learn more I can be you know like tell me more but it for me sometimes it's going down those rabbit holes uh, a little bit too much but I love that answer that's that's amazing thank you um for me that all started with a book that I read by um because I tend to ask most of my guests that question and it's been fun. And uh, uh, a book I read by Brian Grazer um, called A Curious Mind. Um, do you know you know who Brian Grazer is? I know, his, I know his name. I haven't read that book. Okay, Brian Grazer, Ron Howard, Imagine Entertainment. Yeah. He's a producer and director, um, Friday Night Lights, Splash. A beautiful mind and I, you know, a zillion movies. He's, a, he's really brilliant, but it's an interest. It's his story, but it's really all stemmed from curiosity. And it was really fascinating because his grandma his Bubba back in the, you know, in the day, his little Jewish grandmother taught him to be curious and, or so either taught him to be curious or cre- um, um, uh, influenced his, his curiosity and, and, uh, um, in, um, 
influenced it. So encouraged it. That's the word I was like, encouraged it. Um, and so he does a lot of interviews with people before he became famous and learns from all of them. And it's really a fascinating book. Anyway, it's fun. So that's where that came from. So thank you for participating in that. And thank you for being here. Thank you for your wisdom around speaking and, and, uh, um, being the best person you can be, because when you can learn to do those things, I think you just totally improve yourself in so many ways. So, um, and we're always a work in progress, right? So always, yeah. So <laughs> really fun to to talk to you and and appreciate your time. And where can my audience find you? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn, okay. uh, Meredith Grundy. You can also find me at Grundy Coaching. And I have several TikTok videos. If your listeners are TikTok fans, you can find me at Grundy Coaching. I'm afraid to go there because I'll never come out, but I, I have to go look at them now. Yeah, I'm seriously, but um, it's such a fun place. So, and I do recommend to my audience that you visit Meredith's website. It's a beautiful brand new website that she has. And there's lots of opportunities there to learn from her with her blog. And, um, if you're, you, you do mostly in person training or do you do online training as well? I do both. I do okay. both. So something for everybody there. Perfect. Again, thank you so much. And thank you to my audience for being here. And I've just lost, that is so weird. The recording button has moved. It's disappeared. Totally disappeared. There we go. Okay. <laughs> it did. Um, so uh, thank you for being here. And remember to stay connected and be remembered. Thanks for joining us. If today's show inspired you to make a new connection, why not start with me? Head over to LinkedIn and connect with me. Be sure to let me know you are a podcast listener because I select one listener each month who connects with me on LinkedIn for a complimentary profile audit. And you know, I love to meet new people. So I hope you take me up on it. Don't forget to stay connected and be remembered.